welcome to the DMBA podcast where we share business confidence with the design community. Today, as well, recently always, are with me Franz and Tom. Hey, Franz. Hey, Tom. Hey, everyone. Hey, Alan. Hey, Franz. And yeah, we are doing another business design theorem, but today it's not like a regular company. It's a bit different. But yeah, in this format, in the teardown, we look at cool products, uh, brands, events, maybe. Um, something that design community generally likes. And then we look at the business side um, of that product or service. So we want to see if this is just a fancy design or is it fancy business as well. Um, usually I start with asking Tom, who are we tearing down today? But maybe... Uh, I can ask Franz about his t-shirt and the story behind the t-shirt. Yes. So for everybody who is not watching us on YouTube, I'm wearing a zigzag t-shirt, white, red, grayish. And that's the newly awarded t-shirt of the Tour de France for the best research for <laughs> strategy in podcasts. And you're wearing got it, it today. Yeah. So you got it. The leaderboard. Exactly. Let me ask you, are you also the only one on that leaderboard or are there more people in there? There are countless, oh, okay. countless business podcasts Nice. and nice. I was awarded. So that's already a big hint for the company slash event we're talking about today. It is. I imagine people have guessed by now. Um, probably if it's they probably in, on the this. <laughs> it's in the title. It is a lovely shirt, by the way, Franz. I, I don't know if you can diverge which brand that, that is. <laughs> Secondhand, I don't even know what oh, brand it is. <laughs> um, so today's teardown uh, is a bit different, as Alan mentioned. Um, today we'll be tearing down an event, the Tour de France. Um, this is a really good suggestion to mix things up from Alan, actually, um, who, as I'm sure will become clear as we get through this podcast, is something of a Tour de France nerd. Um, he's, <laughs> yeah, we'll see a, how bit. a bit. Um, recent Slovenian winner might have might have helped. I don't know whether your interest was there beforehand. Uh, we'll, we'll get into the we'll story, right? Into Such a success, fan. <laughs> um, so yeah, the Tour de France. And we always say that um, learning about business, learning about economics, a good way to do that is to find something you're passionate about. Uh, and lots of people are very passionate about the sports they love. Um, great way to learn about business. I think Alan, we talked about in the past when you wanted to learn about the financial. Um, side of business you started looking up Premier League teams kind of understand how they operate how they make money and if you can find something that you're really passionate about and a lot of us really love sport great way to learn about this stuff so today quite timely because the Tour de France is on at the moment it's the one we're tearing down today so it might take a few different twists and turns excuse the pun um, than our usual teardowns <laughs> Um, it's not a product it's not really a brand per se but super fascinating um, so Tour de France for those that don't know is I think it's worth saying probably the most grueling of sporting events the people who compete in it are sort of superhuman um, sometimes super enhanced we might touch on that a little bit um, <laughs> takes places uh, takes place over 21 stages across France uh, usually about 23, 24 days, but racing on 20, 21 of those across all kinds of areas um, of France. The particularly grueling bits are across the, the Pyrenees, in the mountains. Um, we'll touch on some of the um, unique attributes uh, of the race 
um, later on in the teardown. First organised in 1903, and it's been held annually ever since, um, apart from during the uh, First World War and the Second World War. And the origin story is fascinating. It was started as a way to increase sales of a newspaper called Lotto or Lotto. My French pronunciation. I'm so sorry for anyone. That's going to happen uh, on a regular basis throughout this podcast. <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> Pronouncing French names in the wrong way. Uh, so I'm from on. East London. Like, I sound terrible at the best of times, let alone doing uh, French pronunciation. Um, I sound like a character from a British um, comedy called Only Fools and Horses, Del Boy, when, when I'm trying to do French. Um, but it was founded by Le Auto as a way to um, boost sales of the newspaper. So they put together the first Tour de France um, as a way of um, promoting the newspaper. It was the way that you would find out about results, about things that were happening in the area. Um, and it had an enormous impact for them. Like they would sell hundreds of thousands more copies during the tour. Um, it was a real big in income stream. And actually, it ended up um, a lot of other competitor papers just fell away, went out of business um, because they were able to just gobble up all of the competition. Um, so, yeah, really interesting um, way um, that it, it emerged. Uh, and it was really interesting that it has a business-centered origin story. And it really reminded me of the, the Michelin Guide as well. Yeah. I don't know if you thought that. Yeah. So the Michelin yeah. Guide started... Um, Seems to be a French thing. A French thing, right? To, like, to start, yeah. <laughs> start a business um, to try and sell more of your things. So the Michelin Guide was um, started to encourage people to drive more, to use more consumables, <laughs> to get out in their car more. And now, mm. you know, um, something completely unrelated um, from motoring. Yeah, so, the by byproduct is maybe more famous than the main product. Exactly. For both yes. of these. Indeed, indeed. Um, so, yeah, enormous sporting event, much bigger actually than I realized. Alan blew my mind when we were discussing potentially doing this that uh, the Tour de France is the world's most watched sporting event. Um, do you know how many viewers, chaps? Mm, 3.5 billion. That's what? an awful lot of people. Um, <laughs> I thought the World Cup, FIFA World Cup, would be number one, but that's got a measly 3.3 billion. Um, but yeah, absolutely crazy, blew my mind. And the economics of the Tour de France are fascinating. That's what we're going to explore today, from the sponsorship to the famous advertiser parade um, to the local sort of French state funding models um, where different areas pay to be part of the tour. And of course, the enormous television rights in order to have that enormous audience that we talked about. So it's an absolute money-making machine, generates hundreds of millions uh, in revenue each year. And I'm really looking forward to taking a deep dive. Um, so why the Tour de France? So we've already said that learning about a sport or something you're passionate about is a great way to learn about business. But it does seem to me, and I don't know if this is just anecdotal um, in the UK or in my group, that cycling seems to be a sport that a lot of the design community are really into. They seem to relate to more than others. I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's because a sort of solo thing or there's a kind of mechanical element to it. Cyclists are stylers. What's that? Cyclists are stylers. Stylers. Just have a look at the... I'm not a cyclist. I'm no. like running, mountaineering. But whenever I see a cyclist on their bike, I look at them and like, styler, like... Everything looks perfect. Styled oh, bike, see. styled shoes, styled everything. Like they look like straight out of a fashion magazine. Right. 
you can maybe in austria it's not the case here <laughs> no <laughs> not really no no way seriously like yeah. that's crazy here like i moved from vienna to salzburg already vienna had like obviously huge commuter scene so here you had people on bikes that looked sleek because they were going mm. to bars and to like commuting to work but now i live in salzburg so there is a lot more like cycling for sports and these people they look like out of a like you could take them and put them into a um into a shop for yeah selling they look like what, they could be on the what's tour. on them <laughs> they got all the gear yeah all the gear no idea um <laughs> yeah it's I, I i agree like the town where i live lots of people cycle it's not the cycling friendliest city but there's a lot of people who are really in cycling so it's quite a green kind of area people trying to use active transport and some people are like full lycra, spent thousands on their bikes. And yeah, like I say, a lot of my friends spend an awful lot of time and money talking about <laughs> and fiddling around with bikes. And yeah, just seems to be something that I don't know. The design community that I know, it seems to resonate a fair bit with. And of all the sporting events that they tend to talk about and mention and maybe uh, chat about on Twitter, the tour seems to, to get things going a bit more in my Twitter um, world when it comes to designers. So if anyone's got any thoughts on why that is, drop us a comment because um, I'm fascinated about where the appeal is. I think it's not just appeal. It's also like from the business side. Mm. It seems to be, if you ask a random like person like what cycling event they know, they more or less just know about tour. Mm. Most haven't heard of like Giro d'Italia or Vuelta España, which are the two other biggest ones, but everyone knows the tour. And that's interesting. Like from the business mm. perspective, it's like they seem to have this, almost like a monopoly on what people perceive cycling to be professional cycling to be mm, interesting looking forward to getting into that a bit more today so as always um we are going to start off shortly with franz taking us through the the business model and the strategy uh, a little different to usual when it comes to this one but um yeah a bit of a story of the tour de france little palette cleanser little quiz just to <laughs> takes away from that and then we are into alan with the numbers as always and there were going to be some big ones today uh, and then we'll wrap up we usually talk about you know the threats opportunities for for the products or the brands we're talking about might be a bit different today uh, maybe just kind of talking about the um how we feel about the the future prospects of the tour and whether if it was a stock would we be buying or selling so before we get into it yeah it'd be good to kind of find out a bit more about either of you are you tour watchers friends you've already mentioned you're not really a cyclist i have to confess i've never watched tour de france i watch a lot of sport a bit worried that this is going to make me add another one to my list of things that i watch <laughs> but friends not a watcher you're not much of a cyclist alan get the feeling you might be more into it than both of us yeah before i open up maybe france you want to go first <laughs> <laughs> i've never watched tour de france i only have one friend who doesn't cycle at all but recently got into watching cycling so i get all the stories of how mm. this is interesting and the strategies and how it works still didn't get into it honestly um but now uh even more enjoyed reading about it researching about it um from not purely the sports perspective from but from business perspective so mm. Might get a few more of the audience into it after today. So Alan, <laughs> yeah, 
Let's say you're more into it than us. How long have you been a fan? Um, do you cycle? Long, probably around 20 years now. Wow. So I've started watching when I was 11, 12. Right. It was one of those things. So back then it was really unpopular, even in Slovenia. But um, it was the only thing that was on during the summer on TV. Mm. <laughs> so I was just like, mom is at home. Like mom is at work. Dad is at work. I just need to watch something. So I started watching. In the beginning, it's boring because it's just people like pedaling to get first to the to the, to the the finish line. And then you start to see, oh, actually, it's more interesting. You know, there is strategies, there is stories, there is heroes, there is like all these intertwined stories in there. And obviously, that that time, Lance Armstrong was big. So the US media did what the US media does well, which is just create a story and create a lot of content around it. So I read the book um, written about, you know, not just his story. That was before the it was revealed that he was using enhancing drugs. Um, but nevertheless, the book was still interesting from like understanding the, the, the sports and so on. Um, so that's when it started for me, but um, not a big like road cyclist, but I did get into let's call it trail cycling. Um, so that's kind of my thing. So not being on the road, but more being in the forests with my with my bike. I was just doing one tour this weekend. It was really nice. Lovely, lovely yeah. landscapes to cycle around mm. in Slovenia as well. So, yep. And nice. don't know if you're going to mention later, recent countrymen uh, of yours uh, won the mm. Tour de France, right? Twice. Has that boosted things a lot? Yeah, it did. I mean, now oh, that's yeah. Now everyone is into cycling, and they either really watch it intently, or they just kind of one of those, as Francis said, success fans. And a question that really gets me, like, gets me mad, is if I'm watching the Tour de France and somebody comes and asks who is first, and tells me everything about that fan, because if you're watching an one single um stage of the tour de france there's this is a wrong question to ask who is first because it's not about that like it's 21 stages there's strategies within the stage and so on so yeah i did get uh that the sport is much more popular and that comes with its uh pros and cons <laughs> <laughs> all the new days having annoying <laughs> questions about <asked>. that <laughs> How do you pronounce the chap's name that won it? Tadej Pogacar. Okay, I'm not going to try and do that. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Cool. Brilliant. So, Alan, the Tour de France nerd, going to pass on some of that, that good knowledge to us today. But um, as always, we are going to kick off with Franz in his special shirt, um, <laughs> taking us through with his, with his top top end research. He's already told us that's why he's got it. Um, and take us through a bit of the, the background, the strategy, uh, and the business model of um, Tour de France. Sure. I'll actually um, leave the business model to Alan. Mm -hmm. He'll be talking about how um, the tour makes money, biggest cost factors, just how the business actually works. And I'm going to talk about, yeah, strategy and maybe also a little bit of history because, you know, the last teardowns that we talked about, the last teardowns that we had featured companies founded in like 2008 or maybe 1998 so you had kind of t maybe 10 
15, 20 years of history. So that was not really real history, right? You had a few main decisions uh, that were easy to sum up, but now we have something that's like 120 years old, right? 1903 to 2023, that's 120 years. So yeah, there were quite some stuff has happened. And I was also like Tom actually interested in how this whole thing actually started. And yeah, you already told the story, right? A newspaper with declining sales has an idea to organize a bike race because biking was up and coming at this point in time. So hey, why not organize a bike race? And actually we want this story to be longer so let's switch things up a little bike races until then were always single day events so the tour de france was the first bike event for first bike race that was multi-day i mean and i wouldn't say that this is because the sport needed it but also if you're a newspaper and you do the whole thing in order to write something about it you don't want it to be one day but in the best case it's longer right Mm. so funny thing that this whole birth story wasn't necessarily coming from what's best for cycling and what would would be the best cycling race but more like what can we do in order to make this exciting and fun and i gotta tell you they really made it exciting and maybe not as much fun for riders because the initial tour was wild like <laughs> really really wild i'm i'm not saying that the tour now is a piece of cake right i'm just saying back then it was six stages so six days and these stages they were monstrous like mm. 400 kilometers each and with old bikes with mm. bikes like 18 kg steel bikes right yeah and they're like eight kilograms now right so it's a fair bit here so crazy there is one like on YouTube you can find uh, there is one of those uh, really popular cycling uh, channels where a, a a person attempted to do one of those stages in this old bike. Mm-hmm. And it was brutal. Like just seeing that saddle, like leather saddle, how it breaks under you. And it, like you're driving And breaks in, you. <laughs> breaks <laughs> you. <laughs> and 400 kilometers. Yeah, this is, most of them driving... had to walk part of it, didn't they? In yeah. when it, especially when they put, put all the mountain stages in. Exactly, yeah. because feature of these bikes was single speed. Yeah, one mm, gear, like <laughs> single speed, eighteen kilograms, four hundred kilometers on average, right? For yeah. six days straight. So you can think so of just... this as a survival week. They yeah. they made it in a way that it was like the hardest thing you could do yeah apparently one of the uh when, when they made it really super brutal the the leader was walking his bike up the mountains and saw the organizers and he called them murderers it was like <laughs> really? yeah that's when they decided to actually because in the beginning they didn't go into alps and into mountains mm. but then at a certain point it got they wanted to make it more interesting and that's when they introduced the mountains which are now the main uh event uh, where kind of the decision is taken who is the winner and who is not um, and yeah in the beginning that was even this was like a wild idea to drive uphill in a, yeah. in a race crazy and you know what 60 starters like 60 people competed in this race 
that 60 people isn't a lot, right? You have mm -hmm. 60 riders, that would, that's Tour de France. So a tour for your country, and then you find 60 starters um, and all of these rode as individuals, right? So today we have teams and so on, but these were like single dudes getting on a bike, mm. riding for six days. Um, and actually the first winner was a part-time chimney sweeper. <laughs> Uh, Maurice Garin, Garin, oh. <laughs> it's happening. Welcome sorry, to world. sorry, everybody. Maurice. So basically, Maurice took 300 like French France home, which is like 12,000 years today, and his winning margin at the end of the six days was three hours. Like he was mm. three hours in front of the next person after like 2,400 kilometers. Today is the day after stage nine. So we are recording this today. State nine stages have already been done at the, this year's Tour de France. 1,600 kilometers are done. Jonas Vingard leads in front of Slovenian mastermind Pogacar with a margin of 17 seconds. <laughs> so 1,600 kilometers done, 17 seconds margin. Like when they started out, it was three hours margin um, for the full race, but us, obviously also this margin will be maybe 10 minutes max, right? So 10 minutes is already huge. Yeah, no, usually like the first and the second uh, place, that's like two, three minutes. That's kind of the usual. So yeah, and this is, if you look at the whole like amount of hours that's being written, one to two minutes, that's, we're talking about 0.00, I don't know how many percentages. It's yeah. really, really small part of how long they're driving for. Yeah. So yeah, it's quite different, right? It's completely different. We have now 21 stages, average kilometers, it's, mu it's much um, less. So there is a bigger variety in stages. Some are long, some are sprint races. Um, you have teams, 22 teams with 170, 80 riders, right? Mm. Um, and yeah, so it's completely different. The race itself is completely different, but also riders were completely different, right? So <laughs> these riders of day one, they were like, they weren't really athletes. They were like rockstars. I'm not saying that they were unfit. Obviously, they were incredibly fit to be able to compete in that. But I was also like trying to understand what kind of people were these 60 dudes that went for this Tour de France. And basically what I read was that this Maurice who won the first um, race, he lived off chocolate and stayed hydrated with alcohol. There are <laughs> video clips in black and white showing riders of the front of the peloton jumping off their bikes, rushing into bars stocking up their bags with champagne, wine, and, and cigarettes, and then jumping on their bikes again and continue riding. Like these, like these people were like, they behaved like rock stars, bad asses. <laughs> Bring it back. Bring back <laughs> the champagne. And apparently there was a belief among them that was in the 1920s that if you smoked before you went on a big climb, that that would help. Oh yeah. man, that was probably the tobacco were... companies advertising, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> not yet, not yet. But they were sharing cigarettes because, like, they wanted to help each other. Right. Crazy. 
and uh, I don't want to cover something you might be talking about, but obviously there was all the controversy over the last 20 years with performance enhancing drugs, but mm. they're very openly taking stimulants, shall we say, um, to get themselves through these races. Like, no bones about it. There was a lot I of... I mean, the thing was, as I said, this was that was a survival week. It wasn't yeah. necessarily a sporting event. It mm. was like, somehow... I need to survive, survive these six days and then you would do everything yeah. that you could <laughs> to actually survive that. Um, and actually that did, that wasn't the last story. Like in 1935, apparently almost the entire peloton stopped to have a drink with locals. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and when I say drink, I'm not talking about water. So, <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was quite special. And these... Um, people, like these riders, they were the local heroes. And obviously since then, a lot has changed. So the tour is completely different. It's a huge event. Um, and now I just want to look at some decisions that the tour operators took to bring this event from, let's say, a smart revenue booster or newspaper sales booster to like the biggest most watched sports event in the world so that's quite an interesting ride and i hope that some of you will or like tom and alan you will just jump in and um add to that because it's gonna be story time pretty much story time story <laughs> Do you time have chapters friends. again <laughs> i no i don't have chapters <laughs> this time it's not as much um from start to finish it's more like what were the core decisions or what were the core features that they did in order to get so successful and basically let's start with product first the first one was product design because from the early days there was a lot of experimentation as you said alan in the very beginning um they tried to make it even harder so henri de grange I don't know wow. if that's how Sounds you pronounce really it i really tried so, so this was the <laughs> founder of Lotto and also like Tour de France, he famously said too many starters crossed the, fin crossed the finish line. Mm -hmm. So that was in the early years. And then a year later, the trek of the tour led through the French Alps. And again, now it's like, sure, that's where mountain, that's where cycling races go. But back then with these bikes, it was not a thing. Like the um, road cycling was mostly a flat or hilly terrain sport sending you through Alps was crazy. So they that was the first step, right? Making it even harder. But it wasn't all about the difficulty because early on they thought also about what fans would enjoy. And it turned out that it's much more interesting for viewers to have shorter stages. So initially 400 kilometers, they actually decreased the stage length um, and stretched the time frame. So they could, again, still cover it for a longer period of time. What they could also do is still manage to visit most of the parts of France and really have this close collaboration with, um, with um, local communities. So that was a big first step to not make it six days, but prolong the whole thing. So it's more enjoyable to watch. You don't have to stand there for like um, ages to to see these riders. It's actually a shorter stage, but it takes much longer and it's a bigger event uh, and it can still uh, go through most parts of France. 
So every year, the tour has a different track, right? It's not that the Tour de France has one track or they have a track for the next five years. No, every single year, they check out sceneries, roads. Cities can apply for being a pass-through or a uh, stop on a Tour de France. Um, and yeah, that obviously boosts popularity hugely, right? You as a city can get the Tour de France to your um, to your doorstep. You can be a stop there. Even if you're not in France, which mm -hmm. is an interesting thing. Now they started like going exactly. abroad. Yeah. That's so crazy because in the very beginning, that was only France, right? So it's Tour de France. You get popular there. You get into every town, every village, or let's say at least every county. But then they realize, well, we are quite there. We are the French race, but we also see that we are very popular beyond uh, French borders. So what they decide to do is internationalize. So um, yeah, neighboring countries. So Spanish, Italian, Swiss mountains. Um, they even decide to have the start and the finish outside of France. So there were starts or finishes in Belgium. Um, I think the Netherlands, right? Germany Denmark for sure. Yeah, Netherlands as well. I think yeah. is that true? Do you remember that? Even UK? Yeah, we had we had it the is the is it the Grand Depart or something? Grand Depart, yeah. yeah. So yeah. we had it it's in London, I think two thousand seven, Leeds twenty fourteen. Um and it was massive. It was such a big deal. And um it made those areas look spectacular. Um I remember it coming down through the countryside from through Yorkshire and it was stunning. And that it, gonna touch on this right that's a big reason to showcase Invest. have have yeah. a stage on the tour yeah exactly yeah. i mean it was so popular to be a stop or a cross through on the tour that there is application and there are stats for 2013 so this was 110 year anniversary 250 One. cities applied yeah we had this discussion already <laughs> I don't know, what did you want to say <laughs> No, you said 110th year in Russia. It's true, yeah. 2013 was 110 years, but it was 100 Tour de France. Because of the gaps. With yeah, the yeah exactly. Yeah. Gaps, yeah. So 110 years Tour de France, 2013, 250 cities applied to be a stop on the tour, even Qatar and Tokyo. <laughs> wow. So I don't know how they imagined this to be, but... That just shows the international appeal of this whole thing, right? So mm. you want to be part of that. Even it's the Tour de France, but I mean, you can be London and get a start of the Tour de France, or you can be Utrecht and you can be the start of the Tour de France. Or this year, you can be Bilbao and be the start of the Tour de France. So this year, we have the track from Bilbao, Spain, to Paris in the end. So yeah, the, the end is always Paris. That's That's a given. Really? Yeah. It has since the 60s, hasn't it? It's been uh, Paris, I think. I think there was a time when it wasn't. Uh, maybe, yeah. But now, in, lately, like now you always. can bid to be the starting city, but at the end, it's always Paris. Yeah. Racing yeah. down a lot, the Triomphe, right? And uh, yeah. Champs Elysees. Looks, looks stunning. Champs Elysees. Yeah. It just looks, looks <laughs> That's beautiful. That's a commercial for France, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is a big commercial for France and for neighboring countries. You are giving me such a great segue because apart from product, there is one other thing that the Tour de France nailed from early on, which is basically natural. 
designing for media coverage. And I mean, you can turn this around. I mean, this whole thing was founded by newspapers. So obviously it was designed for media coverage, but they that's what they did early on really, really well. So talking to people, telling stories, and eventually also um, making money from it. But let's start first things first. We already made this joke about my uh, weirdly crisscrossed t-shirt. That was one of the first very smart moves when I'm talking about designing for media coverage. So in 1919, they introduced these iconic shirts. So yellow shirt for the overall leader of the table, measured by time. Then the green shirt, leader of the sprint section, measured by points. Then red polka dot jersey, leader of the mountain classification. So again, measured by points. And the white jersey, I think, overall leader measured by time below 25. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, right. correct. correct. Yeah. Yes. Mm. So yeah, shirts, right? But again, super smart move to bring something that's maybe hard to understand like who leads this whole thing if you have a stage every day super easy to understand because somebody wears a very bright shirt and you can see this from distance it's possible to see in the newspaper even though if it's not a colored newspaper yet you can still realize whether this is now a completely different colored shirt so you can see the leader and that is actually such a big move that it was introduced by the Tour de France, but adopted by almost all other races, maybe in different colors. So some tours yes. have different colors, but this color scheme of somebody that leads the table has one color and somebody who leads another discipline has another color. Everybody, every single bike race um, adopted this. Yeah, if it's a more, more day bike race, if it's a single day, then everybody starts with the same, yeah. like their team jersey. But did you, do you also gonna talk about the story behind it, why it's yellow? I don't know, tell okay. me more. <laughs> so, in the, I mean, the reason this main jersey is yellow is because that newspaper was printed on yellow pages. So it was literally yellow newspaper. So they just made the jersey yellow and there was kind of the story there. So you could not print the color of the t-shirt and it would appear yellow because it's a black and white newspaper. Like a brand, brand tie-in, right? It's like, <laughs> it's this is uh, the color of our pages. This is the color of the leader, but very clever. Yeah. 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 Um, nice one. And the same story in Italy, there is a, they have a pink jersey and their main newspaper there, La Gazette, something mm -hmm. like that. Uh, it's also like printed still on pink uh, paper. And that yellow is iconic, right? Like it's a real sim, like well-known sports symbol, but also they use it in a lot of the branding now. I'm sure that maybe wasn't the in initial thought on how it becomes so widespread. But if you look on the website and the logo and everything, it's just, it pops, it pops just like designers mm. like. Mm. And now as we're rambling, um, a quick detour to this ranking system, right? You heard me saying yellow shirt, overall leader of the table measured by time. Then you have this white shirt, overall leader, age 25, younger, measured yeah. by time. But then you have green shirts, sprint sections measured by points. And then you have red polka dots, leader of mountains measured by <laughs> points. So this whole thing is fascinating because 
it's like if you have mountain um, stages they are classified differently right some mountain stages are harder than the other one if you win a harder one you get more points than if you win a um, if you win an easier one and the fascinating thing here is that it creates a level of complexity that's not too hard to understand right it was kind of okay-ish to explain this real quick but at the same time it's complex enough that you can really really nerd about this and you can really really go into strategy and in which mountain stages to invest and in which ones not to invest and yes they win this but it's not going to help them as much because they haven't won the harder mountain stage and so on so i find this slightly weird ranking system one of a one of the smart decisions to make when you to make the sport even interesting in the first place mm. and it's also a way to give teams that know that they don't have like so-called general classification contender so like those that go after the yellow jersey it gives other teams um something to write for and it gives them also a way to be visible on tv and it gives them you know something else also to to do instead of just being felt like oh we're just the passengers here because usually it's pretty clear who the main favorites are was this a quick question was this a we, we've talked about why that's got great business value and, you know, it highlights the other teams, their sponsors get some visibility, all that kind of stuff. Was this a conscious decision or was it just, we've yeah, other than the yellow jersey, um, which obviously tied into the newspaper, do we, do we think that was a conscious thing of having all these different shirts so that people would feel like they got some attention and stuff? Or has that just become a side effect of of it getting so much coverage? I don't know. No. I'd say they're smart and do this for a reason. Yeah. Let's yeah. let's pretend this is the reason, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> it does make sense. Like yeah, yeah that it does make sense to have more to write about. You know, mm. the newspaper it gives you more storylines. Even if one of these classifications is decided already after second stage back then, now you have some other classification to write about. That's very and smart. And it gives different type of writers chance to also come and have something to win. Yeah. And again, that's exactly the designing for media coverage, right? Having mm. stories, having legends in different um, in different categories. Um, that all makes sense and fits to this whole decision of, or fits to this whole strategy of, yeah, designing for media coverage, which is the current topic. And also, yeah, continuing pretty strong after this um, decision with the with the shirts and basically solely focusing on newspaper because 1931 um, Tour de France was one of the first um, things to be radio broadcasted and not only radio broadcasted but also selling rights to radio broadcast this 1948 first television broadcasting um, contract again one of the um, one of the first ones to actually sell this, but the big, huge step where they really professionalized this was in the 1960s. So in the 1960s, they really started to have formal sponsorship agreements with brands, like featuring their logos on race infrastructure, including it in jerseys, support vehicles, um, or having it like generally present. And Tour de France was one of these 
sporting events that pioneered the whole way of marketing sports events like we know it today. Again, we were talking about how riding a bike over a mountain is nothing new today, but it was pretty new back then. Similar thing was true for professional sponsorships agreements. You would always have um, companies who wanted to provide bikes or wanted to provide a car just to be there. But these huge sponsorship deals, having partnerships and having like gold members and platinum members and so on, or main partners and support partners and so on, that was pretty much pioneered by Tour de France in the 1960s. And there is this awesome story about the first official um, car supplier deal. Mm. <laughs> so initially, you know, French car company Peugeot, they provided all the cars for free. So they're like, yeah, sure. Newspaper, cool event, great. We get coverage. So we give you the cars for free. You don't need to buy them. So super generous, right? So then when actually the Tour de France rolled out these former sponsorship agreements, um, there was also an agreement for this whole support, for this whole support fleet. And Peugeot actually refused an offer of 500,000 francs. So this is like $85,000. So, so they were asked to pay half exactly. and they so said no. They're mm -hmm. like, yeah, we still take your cars, but you need to pay 500,000 francs for this. And, and they they're were like, like outraged. Nope. No way. Exactly. We're not paying you to you for you to ride our cars. That's <laughs> not the business we're in. So yeah, Fiat takes the deal. Um, Italian car company at this point in time, right? Six million francs. So one million dollar. So that was huge at this point in time. Like you have these huge sponsorship deals. Um, and they were also bold about this, right? You are the Tour de France and you're kicking out your national car supplier to go with a car supplier direct rival from a neighboring country for a pretty sweet deal. Yeah, that's how business is done in the new sports world. And this is how Tour de France actually pioneered this, um, really making a business out of this. Hmm. So quite wild. And now to do a little bit of marketing here, what's the sponsor now? For the cars? The cars. Yeah. Skoda. Yeah, 20 years, I think, right? 20 year partnerships, I, I think. So it should have been the sponsor already when you started watching Tour de France, Alan. Yeah. Yeah, I still can remember those like Fiat signs because every time on the finish line, there's always like the logo of the company. So for some reason I can remember Fiat. Yeah. So maybe that was the time when it was like switched. Alan's an OG, he's been watching decades. Yeah. Yeah, so don't call me success fan, France. This is... <laughs> Do we know what Skoda pay? I mean, it must be astronomical compared to... Um... We do. Oh, I mean, <sighs> it's a yearly fee and they have like three levels of sponsorships and like the top tier, it costs 5 million euros per year. Okay. And this is what Skoda is, is paying right. among some other companies. Sweet. Curious about to hear more numbers, but there is another thing that's crucial to... Maybe, I mean, obviously not the most important thing, but a very important decision or a very important um, activities that they ran beyond product design itself, designing for media coverage. It is how the Tour de France not only attracted fans, 
but actually has ever worked together with fans. So we already talked about these three plus billion user, um, three plus billion television viewers, right? Mm. Every year, there are 10 to 12 million spectators on site along the road. 10 to 12 million people traveling or being from France and watching the tour live. And these people along the road were not just bystanders, right? They have always gone all in. So now I'm not talking about the things that you see right now in television. Um, we're going to talk about this. But again, let's jump back to the early days because this was a national phenomenon, right? Riders were local heroes. So you go to the tour to cheer for the rider coming from your hometown. And this leads you to do some stupid stuff. So in 1904, several hundred fans tried to help Antoine Faure by throwing nails and glass on the road so they would be, yeah, have an advantage um, against their rivals. Hmm. So yeah, one rider even got uh, punched unconscious so that um, Antoine could win the, the stage. Wild mm. times on the tour. <laughs> and later, the more um, socially acceptable way was that you would push riders uphill. You know, like people would just help you get uphill by just pushing you. Obviously, there's like uh, referees all around, like they're driving their red Skodas around uh, the road and yeah. they start whistling if they if they see this, but it's still part of the part of the spectacle. Does it still exactly. happen now, does it? It have like where it's accepted is if you fall down, if you like I don't know have a puncture or whatever, then it's totally acceptable that you get on your bike and somebody pushes you for right. twenty, ten, twenty meters because it's also a type of bike where you need some help to mm, get going. Momentum. But it's not yeah acceptable if you're in 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 the act of like yeah. really yeah. driving. You probably them. get killed as well because they but, get pretty fast. I mean only uphill, this. No. For me, this is so, so interesting and actually at the same time, so weird. Like, just imagine, this is the biggest sport event in the world. Let's say with the Olympics, the most important event in cycling. For sure. And then you have a bystander high-fiving with a pro athlete or pushing mm. a pro athlete. Like, just imagine there is a football game and somebody goes there and gives somebody a gives one of the players a bottle of water. Like uh, they yeah. would be kicked down and carried off the pitch. But mm. here it's like daily business to the France. It's like they are so fans are so close to the riders. They interact. They get media coverage. So that's what I'm uh, trying to lead up to, right? So this was not. I mean, that was obviously a little bit too enthusiastic, if you want to call it like this, to basically put glass and nails on the road to, to stop rivals. But this whole thing of how fans engaged with the tour and engaged with uh, riders was something that was there from the start and actually supported by the tour itself. And Again, for me, that was so weird. First thing is weird that they are so closely related. Second thing that's weird is, I mean, that's not a 90 minute event. Like how interesting can it be to watch a bike race that is 
a stage with 100 kilometers and you are at one point of this stage and then riders pass by and that's it, right? Mm. So luckily, not like me, they realized that this is not a sports event. This is a like full-blown festival, three weeks festival, huge. So they're not selling tickets to an event. They're selling tickets or they're selling an experience of a three-week festival. And as there's I already no tickets. said, I mean, it's yeah, free. there is no, yeah, yeah. it's, it's free, but in the sense, that's all like, that's a huge festival. Yeah. So the route the changes every year. And obviously it leads through the most beautiful parts of France and neighboring, uh, neighboring countries. This means that people, they arrive early, they maybe bring their bikes, they experience the tracks, just go on the same roads that the pro cyclists would go in like a few days. They either stay in one place and do their holidays there and then have the highlight of Tour de France passing by, or they have caravans and just go follow the tour and basically travel with the tour for three, um, for three weeks. And the thing is that this thing or this, this engagement of fans is so um, is so boosted by the tour itself. So when you watch the tour, when you watch footage of the tour, um, have you realized that a big part of the broadcasting time is not riders, but it's like what happens around the track? Mm. So there's always like a beautiful helicopter mm. view of a city, and then there's the name of the city, and then they show the castle. There's always a castle, <laughs> and they show the castle, and then the the broadcasters explain something about the city and how beautiful it is, and then back to action, and then back to nature, back to action. Uh, and what comes in between? And commercials in between. Commercials, very yeah. long commercials. And also dressed up fans, fans oh, yeah. doing weird stuff. So fans actually do everything to get filmed because it works. That's media strategy in itself. So obviously you have this nice track, you film the castles, you film the track, you feel the uh, you film the scenic um, surroundings, but you also film all the weird things that people do along the track. And they they do really, really weird things. Like they dress in costumes. They build up mobile homes that look like castles along the road. They have these awesome choreographies organized by fans. Like, have you seen some of these performances? Yeah. So amazing. Human statues in fields hundreds of people lining up moving so when filmed from a helicopter or from, from a drone it would look like a moving bike for example oh, wow. mm. or like i've recently seen a, a digger like a literal excavator that was this year yeah one dude hangs from the arm of the excavator on a bike and he's moved in a circle riding over like mountains of hay balls like people do crazy shit and they know they 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 want to do it because a all these facilities and spaces are actually even um provided so local communities say here's a field do whatever you want with it this is how you can get on tv secondly they will know it's gonna work if you do something creative you will be on tv and not like a um, naked dude running over a soccer pitch, but like really you get your two minutes of fame because this hel helicopter 
will fly over you for two minutes. For sure. And yeah. Everybody will see it. The whole world, 3.5 billion people, people will see this. And this is why, I mean, these decisions, this decision is so smart to try to get fans engaged, really give them a stage and then create this self propelling movement of people getting even more creative because they want to be broadcasted. I think that's one of the like that's one of the smartest moves that they that they have made. That reminds me of a funny story. I believe it was two years ago at uh, Vuelta. So this is the Spanish three week uh, race where in one of those helicopter um, scenes, the helicopter actually captured on the top of, of an apartment building, they captured like a marijuana um, plant. Not just like a plant, like how do you call it? like a whole... Plantation. Plantation. Yeah, <laughs> and then police went into action. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> not sure if that was part of the strategy, but things like that happened Maybe they were well. hoping to make, you know, do a lot of business during that period. <laughs> a lot of people in yeah, town. Trying for a, yeah, <laughs> trying to get some free commercial there. Yeah. backfired big time for them cool so basically yeah, so it's moving around and just it's people are moving an awful lot of money being spent in these towns by these people but they're also becoming real evangelists for the brand and the product and the yeah. tour right um, and I was trying to do a quick back of the napkin calculation of like how much would I if I'm a mayor be willing to spend on acquiring people into my city if they're having people go through my city because mind you most of these cities they're not like destinations uh and destinations they are just a point between two cities that happen to be the beginning and the end of the stage so those numbers that we heard from france 10 15 million this is a cumulative of all the like fans that visit tour de france in a year so let's say i'm a a city in france nobody has heard of but it happens that this year tour de france goes through my city how much am I benefiting? <laughs> Ron's already loves this exercise. I love it. So let's just say that only 5,000 people stay in this town just because they decide, hey, we don't want to be at the end point or the beginning of this Tour de France. We want to be in the middle. You know, there's going to be fewer fans. It's going to be more, more like the Space real to do a performance. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, maybe <laughs> even this. So let's say 5,000 people decide to come to our city and stay in our city in hotels, eat food and so on. And each of them spends 200 euros. That's 1 million euros from 5,000 people mm. staying there. So it shows you like it has a real economic impact. If Even if you're just a city that uh, this festival goes through. Yeah. No, there has to be even much higher this number for those cities their teams stay fans stay where like you know they, there is an end destination of each of, of the stage yeah and they're advertising their city right for people who aren't at the festival as well and yeah are you going to touch on the the business model of how those uh cities towns get to host um yeah, yeah cool oh, well. yeah yeah because mm -hmm. it's a bargain I think. Yeah, it still seems to be a bargain. I mean, I can tell you right now. So, for example, um, apparently it costs around somewhere between 50, let's say between 50 and 100K to be stage start and then twice as much to be stage finish of a Tour de France 
stage. So you might so go wait, through. There, sorry, gone. Like Tour de France viewers, please don't punish me for that. But <laughs> stage finish is not the same thing as stage start. Not there necessarily. Is, there's a transfer a lot of times okay. in between, and you have to travel between. <laughs> Such a newbie question, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, mind you, like a lot of these uh, stages, they finish mountaintop, and uh, they have a lot of troubles. So when oh, that's an interesting side story. Like up until recently, they only were able to host mountaintop finishes, which are the best type of finishes for most fans, on like big. Um, big mountains that had enough space to host like a stage and have enough space for fans to come there and so on. But now they're also experimenting with, hey, on top, we just have the finish line and then all the riders and uh, obviously then journalists and so on, they meet like 20 minutes below in a valley. And that's where this whole, mm. I don't know, they're, they're all based, let's say. the caravan. And again, super smart decision, right? So I think if they had the same realization that you don't have to have finish of a stage and start at this of a stage of the next stage on the same point in uh, on, in the mm -hmm. same location, but imagine you could sell the finish to one city and then the start to the next city that's like <laughs> twenty kilometers apart. Smart. Yeah, and sometimes <laughs> even more. But yeah, and by the way, the great departure, Tom. Can you say it again? <clears throat> I think it's Le Grand Depart. Is that right? Yes. Sorry, that sounds, French sounds great to me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to all the French <laughs> listeners. Uh, that costs much more. Mm. You know, it's a three-day event because then the teams start there. There is a, um, the first announcement of the, all the riders and teams, and that costs several million, million euros to be yeah. the great departure city. Hey, and also talking about engagement of fans, um, geek question, Alan. Mm. Have you played the Tour de France fantasy game? No, but I did play back then. There was a cycling manager game. Mm -hmm. mm. <laughs> so you were manager of your own team and you decided which rider is going to attack and so on. And I did play that, but yeah. not the fantasy. That's is actually quite business? popular. Yeah, right. So... Tour de France has their own fantasy game. So you put together a team, you manage your budget. Everything is cross-checked with actual tour results. You get price money. They got everything in this game. Like this is a full-blown fantasy game on top of the Tour de France mixed reality, right? You manage your team, but everything is based on actual results. So it's a mix of, I would say it's a low-scale gambling game, but... <laughs> pretty successful actually <laughs> yeah i didn't realize i had a yeah because it's with most sports now have something like that don't they um i follow the football quite into the golf and yeah they both have really well designed um fantasy games yeah didn't know that tour de france had yeah. the same cool okay last thing that we cannot not talk about when talking about the tour de france is doping scandal yeah, right yeah went there <laughs> yeah so we want to have some names. Call out some names, Alan. Who got stripped the title? Lance Armstrong. Mm -hmm. um, I forgot all the other names. There was another US uh, rider or a couple who were with him in the team. But you, if you have the list, just go ahead, Franz. I don't. That's why well, I wanted to ask you. I just yeah. remember Jan Ulreich. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a scandal as well. 
So that there was, was huge. There was a few, yeah. Between and that was not one year. That was like from the 1990s 10, to 2000, 10, 15 years of yeah. ever new scandals, right? It was like one year, big scandal, then they shut it down. It was like year after year, you had either titles revoked or a really renowned driver disqualified for doping. And that was a huge punch to the credibility of the tour. It almost became to a point where people said, well, I don't really care about this because if that's not performance in any case. And it was actually um, kicked off. This doubt was kicked off by this crazy performances of some of the athletes. Like people just started to wonder, like, how is this possible? How can people do such a performance? Turns out they can't without um, enhancement drugs. And Funny thing though is like today, if you watch Tour de France this year, last year, there's like record-breaking um, times, like ascents, how fast they ascent up a hill. So really, yeah, it's much faster than in those times. Like just yesterday, they bit like they um, on a. Okay, I'm not gonna go into exact numbers, but it was just like a sizable difference from before. And um, people are still asking themselves, like, is it still happening? But yeah. in the last five-ish so years, there weren't any scandals anymore. Yeah. So, I mean, sadly, that's an industry in itself, right? If you can develop performance-enhancing substances that go untraced and they're extremely valuable. But yeah, that's I a think whole this, different this, business model. Yeah. Um, and the battle is definitely still ongoing, right? So mm. they it took them a while to actually catch this um and to stop it um they really really invested a lot into targeted drug testing improved laboratories collaboration with anti-doping agencies so they really really tried to yeah <laughs> fix the damage that was done to the sport and to the credibility of the sport um and as you said alan um they seem to have gotten good at this but again, when we talk about the threats of the whole industry of the or of this business, that's definitely one of the biggest ones. Like, if you get another one of these, um, that could damage reputation immensely. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, there's no doubt in the performance-enhancing drugs aside that these are the fittest of the fit. Like the level, the VO2 max that they are capable of getting to just doesn't compare with a lot of other athletes. They are superhuman even without without the, that yeah. enhancement. Um, yeah, it's quite something. I don't think many of us would be able to do 30 seconds going up one of those mountains, let alone. We How long are these stages, Alan, in the mountains? Four, five hours. Oh, absolutely insane. And this is just like... They go for four hours, and then the final hour is the brutal, really right. Twelve percent uh, uphill like climb. It's just Tired crazy. Just thinking about it, yeah, it's crazy. And there's even like an amateur Tour de France happening. I think it's before the real Tour de France. So if you're an amateur who wants to try all the exact hills and climbs that the professionals will take. You can go on the amateur um, race and just try it for yourself. Mm. Uh, that's 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 it's more of a just 
it's not so much of a race than like just a experience like test yourself against um against it the marathon runner um is it chip chip kobe i'm gonna pronounce that really wrong which Um, one have a go at it. Ah, ah, yeah. ah Kipchoge. Sorry, got my pronunciation wrong again. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm correct. But it, I at mean, least we now all know. Yeah, we don't know how not to pronounce it. <laughs> In this right room, way. at least. He, he runs at like like nearly two hours, right, for a marathon, like close to. And I remember seeing yeah. this video. They set yeah. a treadmill at like a running event mm-hmm. at his pace. And even like really Five good seconds. club runners couldn't do more than like 30 seconds. For, yeah. you know, so. My high school teacher bet the class that we couldn't run three laps on our school um, track in the time the marathon world record runner would run the full marathon. And cocky teenagers obviously (laughs) said, no way. I, we can do it. We can do it. And then we actually did the test and we failed miserably. Like oh. really three laps around a soccer uh, football pitch. Mm. No, no chance. Way. Yeah. And that's, that's a big circle though, right? Yeah. How big is one circle around the soccer pitch? 300 meters something. Yeah, so it would be like a little bit less a than kilometer a kilometer. And, a mm. and they're doing yeah. this for but like it's 50k. A very very smart way for a teacher to motivate kids to run for a kilometer and a half that's not easy to do yeah for sure friends that was brilliant really interesting story um and yeah some really wily moves that they made um that have just persisted and just been built on over the years it's um yeah very clever work from Lilto um to make it into that juggernaut that it is now they keep by the way now L'Equipe. Yeah. Ah, so the, Lotto yes, was um, yeah. was it shut down after World War Two, right? I'm not sure. Yeah, I think happened. so. Mm. I don't. I, I I didn't research on the reason, but now it's L'Equipe, the mm. or the newspaper connected with that, and obviously the Tour de France has a separate entity now. Mm. Yeah. So actually, it was sold to another company. But I'll talk about it in a bit. Yeah, we're going I just wanted to chat chat very quickly about. You know why is Tour de France the the only event that most people have heard about? Why cycling event no, or general? Yeah, event. cycling event. Yeah, because like if we t- talk about tennis, there is like you have Wimbledon, Wimbledon New York, Paris, Roland Garros. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And here it's basically just Tour de France. Yes, there is a few other races. There's also so-called classics, the one-day races that really matter. Um, but everyone more or less just knows about Tour de France. And there is some reasons to go into that. One, it's just so funny, but it, one of the most important ones is just the fact that if you want to do a really tough mountain stages, there's basically one or two months in the year when you can really go over Alps without like being like having bad weather. And this is July, August, maybe September. And that's why most of this, like, for example, Giro usually happens in May, June. And then Tour de France has the best dates, which is July and August. And then those teams that prepare for Tour de France, they, you know, it's hard for those riders to also do, I don't know, maybe Vuelta, which comes after that, which is September. And then in September in Vuelta, there's snow sometimes happening in the uh, in actually in the right so the calendar itself seems to be one of the reasons yeah. why Tour de France also has such a 
um, advantage over others, but at the same time it also limits them because it's a uh, it is it has a lot of viewers this sport, but it only happens like for three weeks in a year, whereas some other sports like soccer, basketball, you can like do them throughout the whole year, and so on. So that's the disadvantage they have against other sports. But within the cycling, you know, like it's it is a huge moat that Tour yeah. de France has over others, mm. the calendar itself. Also, I mean, that's how you started watching it, right? So yeah. summer, there is nothing to broadcast in any case, right? So that's another thing. Yeah. First thing, television uh, broadcasters, they're super happy to have some, some content to fill their afternoons with. A again, it's afternoons. It's not evenings. So again, time is free and people have time to watch it because summer holidays, um, schools are closed and so on. So I think this whole timing of July um, is a big contributor to people being able to travel there, it being um, picked up by broadcasters so well, um, it having so high numbers of, of uh, viewers. So mm. definitely timing was a great one here. Yeah, massive. Mm. I wonder if it would be as popular if it was if it clashed with the football season and people's holidays not being so mm. available. Probably not, to your point, right? That's why you're saying it. <laughs> it's, the uh, the yeah. only thing, and I tried to find this out, was what happens when there are Olympics. So I tried to Google and ChatGPT if people pre uh, preferred uh, tour over Olympics. Um, and actually, that's the only thing that they that some riders would sacrifice, right? You would still rather go to the Olympics, Summer Olympics, if it clashed, because it does not always clash. But some riders or uh, some of the big riders, they do go rather to Olympics than to the France, just for the fact that it happens only every fourth year. Um, but again, they try not to clash, but sometimes mm. it does happen. Yeah, but also it's a completely different race. Like you could go to Tour de France and still go to Olympics. Usually it doesn't clash, at least mm -hmm. lately. And like Tour de France is a three-week race. And in Olympics, it, there's just one stage where the winner is decided. There's yeah. a Trump trial winner and then there's like a road stage winner. So I remember, was that two years ago or three years ago when the Olympics were in Tokyo? Mm. I know that basically everyone who was on Tour de France also went to Tokyo to mm. um, do their the quick one-day race of yeah. six hours. Yeah, let me just go to Tokyo and win this, and then go back to Tour de France. But it didn't work. You know, like you're so tired, you basically have to sacrifice one for yeah. the other. Right. Um, but still, like for me, the question is like, why doesn't you know why is there no winter Tour de France mm. in Australia? or Patagonia or something, you know, like a completely different location. But there's so much culture involved. Like it's not a closed spectacle. Like you need the, the nation to embrace this sport and yeah. to make it happen. Again, analogy, right? We talked about Michelin and this Michelin guide. So another French example, Paris Dakar. Mm. You know, this uh, yeah. motor race, Paris Dakar. Yeah. You also know that it, for ages, it hasn't started in Paris and went to Dakar, but it's still the name. Yes. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, why didn't they do this? Exactly. Mm. To the right. France, but, but, but in again, Australia. It, French example, like great thing, Paris, Dakar, yeah. doesn't happen from Paris to Dakar, hasn't happened there in ages. Um, but yeah, would be a great thing to... There's an opportunity out justice there. Justice also for opportunity, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Alan's going to start with Tour de Slovenia. 
around uh, yeah, there is tour the tour de Slovenia. Ah, sorry, yeah. every basically every country has its own yeah. tour Österreich Radrundfahrt. can you say uh, this <laughs> i have no, no idea what that was <laughs> there was a race across austria uh, <laughs> um cool let's Pen have cleanser. a quick quiz before we get into some um, juicy numbers with Alan. So um, unlike last time, uh, Franz, only one of my things has been covered with your uh, mm. bit so far, but Good I'm ratio. still going to drop it in there just in case anyone missed it. So um, before we get into that, though, I did have a look, quick look at the stats um, on the nations that have won the Tour de France. Mm. Um, so Slovenia, two wins, very mm-hmm. recent, as to be said. Great Britain, six. Austria, how many wins? Zero. Zero. France, come on. I was surprised. I really thought, given the geography and everything, that there would have been an Austrian uh, winner by now. Nah, there is only one discipline where one Austrian dominates. Race across America. <gasps> really? Yeah. Ah. Always won by Michael Strasser, the crazy dude. But completely different story completely uh, yeah. different kind of race uh, one to look up though definitely <laughs> okay so quick few questions so first question which rider is given the name lantern rouge in the tour de france is it a the cyclist who finishes last in the entire race b the cyclist with the most aggressive performance c the cyclist who leads the most stages or d the youngest cyclist in the race lantern rouge is it red light yep so last rider i think it's b the the one that's most aggressive and it's given after every stage but i'm not sure i'm guessing franz is correct a oh the last one yes the last one because also this is a traditional or uh, it literally translates into german rote laterne like red lantern which is what you get when you're the last one indeed and apparently it comes from the red light that was hung at the back of a train so you could indicate that there were no like carriages Mm. lost or anything so a bit like the wooden spoon but you know um yeah yeah. but what what happens today is like every stage there's one rider picked up as like the most aggressive of the day right and they get the for next stage they wear a red uh, number on their Ah, back okay so it's kind of a way to give you uh, so even if you don't win, like, that's a good this is, okay. this is now not the Lantern red. Rouge. Yeah, this, <laughs> this is the, <laughs> some, it, something, else apparently something else. So do yeah. they measure that in power output? Is that, no. no. How do they measure this that? Is just, this is just someone who has, it's called an attack. It means you try to distance yourself from the pack. Right. It's like somebody of the game in football. Yeah, okay. so objective, just like the match. their vibe yeah. is very aggressive and like they're making moves. Um, they make it interesting. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, so you've heard of the yellow jersey given to the rider leading the tour, but what is the polka dot jersey awarded for? Is it A, best young rider, B, best sprinter, C, king of the mountains, or D, the overall leader? C. It's the king of the mountains. King of the mountains, indeed. Mm. I think we did briefly touch on that. Is that one of the more prestigious um, things, is it, Alan? Is that a biggie? No, I think the most prestigious, obviously, is yellow. I I would say the second one is then uh, the green one. Right. Really? Uh, Sprint is more prestigious than mountain goat yeah because the mountain goat is usually not won by the best uh climbers it's usually won by 
those who attack on like every single so what happens is like every stage it consists of different hills or climbs or mountains right mm-hmm. so what many cases happens is the best climbers they preserve their energy and they stay in a peloton until the last climb and they only then explode and go and try to win the stage so these polka dot jerseys are sometimes and it looks like this is going to be also one of those years are won by um basically climbers that decide hey i'm going to try to collect as many points on these hills that precede the the main mountain you know so i could climb those first three hills collect 20 points on each of those and then i don't know the last hill is still worth 40 points but you know the best climber only climbs there because they're more focused on the yellow jersey so that's why the polka dot jersey is not seen as like oh i'm really the best climber it's usually like somebody else yes tactics Mm, Mm. interesting um cool so that's the king of the mountains the polka dot jersey question three you might not need the multiple choice here Actually, I'm just going to ask for an answer. Which country has the most Tour de France winners? Hazard a guess? France. France. US. It is France. 21, I think. Um, That's a lot of winners. United States, France, Belgium, Spain were the options. But um, yeah, France right up there. The last French winner was Bernard Hino. 1985. It's been a while, France. Like, I mean... This was a national event for a long time, so that's a little bit skewed numbers yeah, here. Definitely a little skewed, <laughs> yeah, of course. But <laughs> of course, <laughs> been a while. Um, is that the, you look at Wikipedia, and yeah, the first twenty years, it's like, yeah, we're nailing. Uh, uh, final question. This is closest closest wins on this one. Um, mm. How many calories? Will the average tour rider burn off during the duration of the 21 stages? How many calories? I'll give you a moment to do a little bit of prototyping yeah. with numbers in your head. I have my answer. Yeah. Franz, what's your answer? 210,000. Okay. Alan? Mine is 120,000. Alan, it, the answer is 120,000. <laughs> <laughs> Very impressive. Um, incredibly quick Googling by you there, Alan. That's really no, no, quite I, something. <laughs> no, I just have this random fact that they need to eat 6,000 calories a day, like the riders. So I just multiplied this with like usually 20 <sighs> stages, something like that. Alan, this it. is why you're our numbers, man. And that is a wonderful segue (laughs) into the financials of the Tour de France. So let's take a bit of a dive into the money, how it's made and what those what those figures looking like. Exactly. So first, a little bit on the business model. So as France and I think you also touched upon initially Tour de France was not the main product. The main product was newspaper and Tour de France was just there basically to help sell the newspaper. And this whole chapter, we can call it, of this business was from when it was conceived. So from 1913, uh, 1903, right? To mid 1960s. So in this stage, in this period of this 60 years, um, it was mostly like, yes, Tour de France has evolved. There was sponsorships, there was CD fees and so on, but still the main reason it existed was 
um, to sell newspaper. So right around the time when the professional cycling was getting professionalized, also to the France to the France was getting professionalized. So in 1965, to the France was basically bought by a private company called Amari Sport Organization. And that was basically, and they're still the sole owner of the Tour de France. And because they're a private company, this means that numbers are not freely available. So they don't disclose their revenue as opposed to, I don't know, NBA or Wimbledon or Champions League, where all of these numbers are easily uh, found. But um, we did some digging and we found some numbers. But first, how does business to the fronts make money? Essentially, they are three big buckets. So one bucket, the biggest one is TV rights. That's 55%. Then the second bucket is sponsorships. That's 40%. And then the city fees are only 5%. So in my mind, I think the city fees were much higher in the beginning, but now they just keep creeping down because the whole thing is becoming basically a one big commercial which is the case for most of the sport events they are just commercials um i mean the product is the sport but the way it's monetized is companies basically trying to get attention of the viewers and it's the same case in the tour de france so 55 percent of tv rights and 40 percent of sponsorships is basically the same thing so that's like 95% off the, the money is made by just visibility being mm-hmm. seen by people. Um, so let's break this down even further. So sponsorships is 40%. And this 40% comes from basically two biggest buckets. One is, we already talked about sponsors. So we have three levels of sponsors. There's main sponsors such as Škoda, and then there's a bank called LCL. And for example, if you ever see a yellow jersey holder, so the rider in a yellow jersey, they always have the big LCL in their jersey. This is the name of the bank, basically. And um, they, so LCL has been like main yellow jersey sponsor for for many, many years. And this puts them into this bucket of main sponsors. And these, these ones need to pay 5 million euros a year. As a side note, LCL actually has to pay even a little bit more because of the yellow, yellow jersey um, story. But yeah, the main sponsors pay 5 million euros per year. Then we have so-called official partners. For example, one of them is Tissot. This is a watch, watch manufacturer. And they are the official timekeeper of Tour de France. So you can see them every time when there is a um, any classification of the times and so on which is a really nice product placement. And I think Wimbledon or somebody has something similar also yeah, for time. Rolex. Rolex, of course. Wimbledon, that's the only one that makes sense. Uh, and then the third tier of the sponsors is something they call official suppliers. So this is the caterers, hotels, airlines, uh, car rentals, I think even the tires for bikes and so on. And these only cost 1 million per year. And I, I'm saying this only because I think it's not that much actually uh, for being an official sponsor of Tour de France. Uh, so when you put all of this together, it's not exactly clear how much this is, but 
I'll come to this later, okay? So this is one bucket, it's the sponsorships in terms of like these three levels. And then the second level, they are monetizing the sponsorships. And this is less visible on TV, but it's more visible if you actually visit the Tour de France. It's something called publicity caravans. Do you know what that is? Is it the, they have like a parade at the start, right? With loads of floats. Um, exactly. That, that was like, like mega popular back in the carnival. 60s. Yeah. It's like a carnival. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I don't know. There was one mayor in France who said, I'm not paying all this money. And he was talking about the city fees. I'm not paying all this money to watch two minutes of race and one hour of publicity caravan. But the survey shows that actually 50% of the viewers come not just for the show, but actually they come for all this spectacle around. And what publicity caravans uh, are or is, is basically, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a string of 50 to 100 cars. And this is basically sponsors of Tour de France that hand out free stuff to viewers alongside, alongside the roads. And... And they give them food, they give them different products, and it's basically a commercial for them, for these companies. Yeah. And I couldn't believe that people actually love love this process. But yeah, if you're like there and you're stuck on a road, because these roads are obviously closed on that day, it's something to see, you know, it's something mm. to, to be entertained by. Um, so yeah, these are the two big buckets that go into sponsorships. So again, the main sponsors and then the publicity caravans. So that's 40% of the revenue. Now we switch to the TV rights, which is 55% of the revenue. And so the rights to broadcast Tour de France are sold to 186 countries. So almost every country in the world uh, broadcasts Tour de France. And that leads into why this is the most watched, um, most watched sport uh, in the world. Um, and that, yeah. It's basically 55%. And we already talked about the 5%, which is the city fees. So mm -hmm. cities applying to become either the stage start or stage finish, and then they need to pay between 50 and 150,000 euros for that um, benefit or that priority. Um, yeah, so these are the three big buckets. And now the total number uh, is actually much lower than I expected, honestly. And then, Tom, you talked about this. This is a juggernaut that makes hundreds of millions of euros. Actually, it makes around 100 million euros. So it's not hundreds, it's around... So there are some estimates because, again, ASO, so the holder holding company, is very private uh, with the numbers. And it's also a private company, so they don't have to be public by French law. So we don't know the exact number, but experts estimate it's around 100 million euros, which if we take this as a base, means that Tour de France makes only 55 million in TV rights. Wow. Which is much less than some other sports. Far um, less. Yeah. Far, far less. Yeah. Mm. So I was really, really surprised by that. Uh, I expected this number to be much, much higher. Mm. I think I've seen a few estimates that were maybe overly inflated, um, which is why I didn't want to give away the number because I knew you'd be coming to it, but I'd seen some up as high as 400, 400 million. But that's, well, that sounds too high based on what you've said. Maybe it's still could... not huge. It's not huge, yeah. is it? You compare it to some other sporting events, um, especially ones that go on for a month. <laughs> yeah. 
maybe it's also the, these different estimates could be due to the fact that there is a certain sum that the company gets, mm. so ASO, and then there is how much value is created for, I don't know, like all yeah. these cities, yeah. even though that's probably also more than 400 so million, yeah. probably much more, because I have this quote from, so Denmark was the great departure city a couple of years back, and they paid 4 million euros to be that, and they claim to have received 108 million dollars of economic benefit. Spending. Yeah, spending. Need someone new negotiating their contracts at the Tour de France. Exactly. Like, <laughs> come on. I mean, this is, you should at least capture 20% of the value you're making. I think this some, is crazy. there are some Premier League clubs that one Premier League club probably gets more in television rights a year than the Tour de France. Um, yeah. And for the amount of eyeballs on it, doesn't seemed quite add up no no i was super surprised by that um so if we look now into this company what are their expenses and income so we talked about the income right uh but the expenses is they have it's a really nimble organization because they don't have to pay to use well they do need to pay to use the roads but this is kind of a yearly fee they pay to french regions but they're not paying actually for hey, we're going to use this road on this day because mm. the French city is bit and they want it. Mm. They actually want the Tour de France to go through these cities. They also don't pay it for police. They don't pay for roadblocks. They don't pay for anything that they don't have to pay for. <laughs> so they pay for their own people, personnel. They pay for, in my opinion, very bad prize monies. So for example, the winner of um, Tour de France is this year going to get, do you know how much money? They should be getting a, a, an awful lot. Uh, do, do they break six figures? Surely they do. Surely it's over. Six figures, yeah. yeah. They get half a million. Half a million, okay. Yeah. yeah. I've seen some but, of the other winners don't get anywhere near that. Some of the other... Okay, but the thing is, it's a team sport, right? Mm. So the winner gets half a million, but the culture of the sport is such that the winner, so it's called so-called captain in the team, they usually distribute their winnings among the team. So let's say each team has eight members. Um, so if I want to just divide this 500 divided with eight, I'm basically giving every, if I'm giving it equally, 62,500 euros to each member of my team, which is, yeah, wow, not a lot, right? Um, I mean, it, you know, objectively, that's a lot of money. That's more, more than a lot of people's annual salary. But given True. given the size of the product and the amount of training and but this is winners winners of course yeah. there are 22 teams yeah yes um <laughs> that's 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 uh that's nuts i mean again comparing it to winners in other sports um yeah one bad. person winning wins one tour event on the pga tour wins like a million and a half exactly so this year the winner of wimbledon is gonna get so uh, three million basically euros or pounds, I'm not sure, which is six times as much. And there they keep all the winnings, right? It's a individual mm. sport and here is a team sport. So it's just crazy. I mean, it also, I had a quick look also at the business of team of cycling teams. And also that looks really unusual and weird. So basically they get no revenue share from the bot broadcast deals with the SEO. They get no revenue share from tickets because there's no tickets. 
that's another interesting point. So like, you know, viewers that come to the so like stadium, I'm doing air quotes here, they don't pay anything, right? So they're part of the spectacle. They are part of the product, so they don't pay. So obviously there's no revenue to share from this. Um, they also have very little merchandise to sell. It's not like, I don't know, Cristiano Ronaldo goes to Saudi Arabia and now this club sells a million of new t-shirts and that can be hundreds of million in revenue. Here it's like, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of t-shirts sold. Mm. Um, so merchandise is not a revenue. So basically each of these teams just has one main so-called title sponsor. So that's why all these teams have really weird names. And sometimes the same team changes the name like from one year to another. Maybe yeah. Tom, you may remember Sky, remember Sky Team yeah. and now it's Ineos. Mm. Uh, it's the same team basically, but it's just a different, a different. it has a different uh, color of the shirts, different name, but same like personnel. Yeah, so owning a cycling team, apart from the commercial itself, not the best business itself. But the Tour de France itself is a good business. It, according to experts, seem to be making like 20% profitability. So let's say if this is 100 million revenue, 20 million profit, which which is okay, you know. But I just wanted to put in perspective uh, how, in terms of revenue, Tour de France is compared to some other sports. So first of all, NBA. So you want to guess? I mean, probably actually today is no guessing because all the examples I have are actually far bigger than the <laughs> Tour de France. But NBA has ten billion in revenue. The whole ten, uh, franchise, the whole league. Yeah, thirty. Okay. Thir sorry, thirty franchises, ten billion yearly revenue, and big portion coming from the TV rights. Mm. Mm. Um, and a big portion coming from China also. So this is, the NBA is really good in the internationalizing and they have a lot of games. So it's throughout the year. So there's more product to sell. And Tour de France is three weeks. Uh, then we have Champions League. Three billion. Three billion? Three billion in revenue. Mm. That's a bit higher than that. I just I had a look at World Cup 2022 I revenue. You. I just uh... Uh, no 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 no. I'm just looking for the World Cup Qatar, mm. which is also let's say a three week event, um, and it had 6.4 billion USD dollars in revenue, uh, and mostly from TV rights. Mm. It's crazy. And then I wanted to find something that's comparable to Tour de France, and that was Wimbledon. So any guess for how much revenue Wimbledon is making? So the tournament itself. Based on what you've said on the other uh, things that I would have thought were bigger. Ooh, one and a half billion. Browns? One. It's $440 million. <clears throat> yeah. mm. Still bigger, right? And it's also a one time a year event. So I'm frankly really, really surprised by the mm. Tour de France's revenue. It seems to be small and uh, there's either a lot of potential or or not. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice summary. <laughs> yes. Well, talking <laughs> think, of, of which, are, are you, have you got any more numbers to um, no, take us through? Because I think that's a good good segue into the, the opportunity and maybe the threat moving forward for Tour de France. And if Tour de France were a stock you could go and buy, whether you'd be buying or selling. So um, Franz, I'm going to come to you first because you already mentioned one of the potential um, threats earlier around doping yeah. scandals. Um, 
I think we have the biggest threat and biggest opportunity already on the table. So biggest threat being doping scandal again. Uh, biggest opportunity being US Tour de France, for example. Take it on tour. So, tour on tour. Yeah. Take it on tour, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, when thinking about this, not much more came to my mind, honestly. I mean, there's a little bit of safety and security issues. Usually, mm. unsafer sports don't mean less viewers, but paradoxically more viewers. Um, media could be a threat. I mean, they're making, you said 50% or biggest part of their uh, revenue with uh, broadcasting rights. We all know how broadcasting and TV changes. Um, frankly, yeah. I think the last thing that keeps TV um, alive is sports. Yeah. Um, so let's see how long that's going to last until um, also digital takes over. Um, so maybe that's another threat being or having the fact that TV broadcasting is the biggest revenue stream for them. But apart from that, would you, no uh, real. Would you be buying, holding, selling? That so that's so hard because you know how I mean companies already some companies already manage to have to play on emotions, mm. but sports like researching this, it made me like really really interested in doing the France. <laughs> <laughs> so as and as soon as this happens, you shouldn't buy stuff. You should just enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> so I would be inclined to say, yeah, buy, 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 because it's so awesome. So much emotions. They're doing so awesome stuff. But as soon as emotions come in, maybe you shouldn't uh, do business there and just enjoy, just uh, enjoy, enjoy watching the, it. the spectacle, <laughs> which it definitely is. It'd be interesting to see how long ago those TV rights were negotiated. I know very often these cycles mm. are very long, but to me, that sounds like the biggest opportunity for revenue um, given the amount of eyeballs that Alan's already mentioned um, is on it Alan any thoughts on, on your side um, threats yeah. opportunities for threats there's climate change yes so this is a big one if you have your main race in summer and summer becomes too hot then this could jeopardize you know the whole calendar mm. when the race happens and if this shifts, then what happens to the TV rights and so on? Then you may be competing with other sports. There's a whole debate, like in the US, they have major leagues, like, you know, there is uh, basketball, there is their football, there is baseball. And they try to, you know, very smartly pace themselves. So they're not peaking at the same time. So if you need to move the Tour de France from summer to another month, you may be peaking with another sport. Um, so that's a threat, a big one. I think uh, another threat is, like Franz said, maybe a, a, another race um, that could be even more interesting, another cycling race that just is even better for the media format. But I see huge opportunities as well. So um, huge opportunity for me. What is the nicest way to experience Tour de France? It's being on the on the road, you know, seeing all those fans, feeling the pain, like when people, like when drivers, riders are passing you, 
And what does the up and coming Apple Vision Pro promises? Be there. Virtually. So imagine I could actually be on like, you know, there is a five hour stage and I know there is like three most important moments. So I could actually teleport myself from one hill to another and just be there in those moments and be there like and maybe even virtually somehow contribute to the to the noise or whatever. So I think there is this is a huge potential. But knowing what I know about this leadership team and this company, I think they were super innovative in the beginning and they, they now they kind of stopped. They missed the social media uh, train. I'm afraid they're going to miss also now this like whole digital and virtual reality train or they're going to be late to it. And this could mean that they're uh, not going to take, yeah, that they're not going to um, make use of this opportunity. So with your question, Tom, buying, holding, selling, I would buy run 100% if if it's not ASO owning Tour de France anymore, if it's more capable. Like if the NBA leaders would take over Tour de France. Right. You'd be bullish. This is <laughs> 10x right away. Yeah. Yeah. I just from, I, it's been fascinating learning about this today and just the culture around it or the, the fandom is is all there, but it feels like it's it's not being harnessed to its full potential. And maybe that's part of the appeal. I don't know. Um, and maybe might, that might be part of the formula that it's not over commercialized. Um, but it feels to me like there's money left on the table for sure. Um, so it would be interesting to see in, in other hands how that might play out. I think the Vision Pro one is really interesting one. And I don't want us... I think there might be future opportunities to discuss where that might play in other sports. Um, mm, so NBA. yeah, you might leave that, put a pin in that conversation for now. Um, I had one thing that I thought might, might be a, th a threat to it. Um, uh, we're starting to see investment from other countries, governments into sports that have maybe not been already even pay well now, but come in and scoop up um lots of high profile athletes putting on competitive uh competitor events very very quickly and i guess the thing we're seeing at the moment is cash from saudi arabia coming in particularly like um with the golf spinning up the live tour very very quickly mm. with just eye-watering amounts of money I, I wonder if given we've talked about the lack of prize money and the lack of maybe opportunity being taken by the tour at the moment, whether a, a rival tour could emerge with that kind of backing. Yeah. Um, that would be fascinating. I don't know if that's a discussion that's been had at all in the world of cycling so far, Alan. Um, not aware of not it. Not aware of it, but we've we've seen them coming for, uh, for a lot of other sports. So, yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. Interesting. Anything else to add, chaps, on this one? No, it's been really, no. really interesting. As someone who didn't know much about the tour going into this, um, I feel like friends that I'm going to uh, be tuning in a bit more. And yeah. I, I'm worried about my viewing schedule already, so might be adding the Tour de France in there. It's been been really fascinating um, to touch on that. I just one tip: you mostly just need to watch the last hour, last hour of yeah. the whole thing, or each stage the best stages okay what are the best stages yeah. give us a quick quick rundown of the ones that people yeah you just go for. on the letour.fr and you just go through each stage and if it says mountain mountain uh, stage you watch it right if it says hilly 
sometimes it's interesting sometimes it's not and if it says flat then it's a bunch sprint usually in the end this means it's mostly dudes driving together in a peloton and then in the end is a sprint which is not as interesting so i usually just watch the mountain stages and that's usually like and time trials time right. trials super interesting okay so that's usually like eight stages altogether nice and they usually happen weekends okay so it's only eight hours of watching yeah it's not that <laughs> have it on in the background i mean yeah the last hour of each of those i'm gonna i'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna watch some this weekend and i'll report back whether i fell asleep or not or switched over <laughs> nice that's been really really interesting and um it would be really great to hear from people whether they found this kind of little pivot that we've taken this week into something maybe non-traditional product into sport what you made of that uh if you enjoyed it suggest some other events or sports that maybe we um we tear down in future um I think or companies and companies looking of course for yeah the next few to tear down yes absolutely and um yeah maybe some some niche ones we we like to tear down companies that designers love or gravitate to um but i'm sure there's some that aren't on our radar at the moment so yeah drop us drop us a line that'd be massively appreciated so alan do you want to wrap us up exactly so last suggestion from our side if you enjoyed this conversation you will probably also enjoy our mini mba it's a free email course so over seven days you receive seven emails each teaching you a business concept relevant for designers something you can apply to your work something that's going to help you also watch through the fronts over the next seven days so to sign up head over to d.mba slash mini mba so that's d.mba slash mini mba and that is indeed everything right it is until next cool. time thanks tom thanks Franz. see you soon see you bye bye bye